a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode of Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Alice W. Castle and I will be your host for the episode and every other episode, I guess. Um, this is Multiversity Comics' Star Wars podcast and for this section of the episode we're going to be talking about the first part, the one shot of Star Wars Screaming Citadel from Marvel and joining me to talk about that is someone who's becoming almost a regular on the show, Ken Godberson III. Heyo. As well as first, well, almost first timers, I guess first timers for the second season, Vince Ostrovsky, who you should know from the DC3 cast. Hey, everybody. And Jessica Macho, who joined me and James on the ill-fated WrestleVersity podcast. Hey, what's up? <laughs> so this episode or this half of the episode we're going to be talking about the screaming citadel as i mentioned the one shot by kieran gillen and marco chichetto basically to start off uh what did you guys think of the issue kind of first impressions i uh, uh, i loved i loved how uh, star warsy it was and yet it kind of filled in some genre beats that were absolutely unlike anything we've seen in star wars so far yeah, it um, was uh, it was pretty. They they called it a gothic horror in Star Wars, and it was a kind of a weird blend. Yeah, but it really works, you know. Like I don't know, something about like like it it is it is a blend. That's a really great word for it because um, I think uh, Chiquetto does a, an amazing job of of drawing all the different things that are decidedly Star Wars, whether it's an alien race or a spaceship or or anything like that or any of the principal characters and then yet he he also builds this like gothic horror sort of conclusion to the story that that really works with all those same elements yeah it was uh like it was kind of a slow build to the weird horror elements that end capped the issue with the uh the queen who looked a lot like batwoman was that just me? It, or did she look it, a lot it like It wasn't Batwoman? just you. It no, really, she yeah. She, she looks like she looks like evil Batwoman. It's, it's and, but I'm I'm into it. I'm really and, into it. And further, yeah, I'm, it's very hot. And and you, <laughs> and you know, and furthermore, her um, I don't know, her assistant, her like major domo or something. He was really giving me dead man vibes. I'm yes, totally I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm looking at those pages and I'm thinking he looks almost exactly like Deadman. I'm glad I'm not seeing things there. Um, I was really surprised because I feel like I've mentioned this uh, maybe before in the podcast. Um, I reviewed the first issue of uh, the Doctor Afro series for the website, Multiverse Comics, and I wasn't that impressed with it to begin with. I felt that Afra as a character kind of grew beyond her means if I should say like she was a sporting character in Darth Vader that everyone really liked and I feel like eventually by the end of it Kieran Gillen liked writing her more than Vader and kind of spawned off in her own thing but by the time we've got to this crossover she's had what six issues I think yeah. seventh issue was the uh, second part of this issue yeah uh, se- seven just came out like today as we're mm-hmm. recording this which we I, I should mention that we're, we'll probably just be talking about the uh the one shot for the listeners but like i've really started to get into her series as a kind of deep dive into star wars lore through her archaeologist work and i think that's uh, a really interesting tie into to this ep- ep- episode um issue is how she basically the way she uh gains loot trust is being like hey i know more about the jedi than you do come work with me for this thing so that you can learn more about being a Jedi which is kind of a really interesting angle to keep them two together. You know, the way you describe like, I've, I only read the first issue of Dr. Aphra 2 mm-hmm. and it was more because I just, I like Dr. Aphra in the Vader mm-hmm. series I just, I didn't have an, I had no interest in a solo series yeah. It's it was kind of like over at, um, at Valiant Comics when they uh, launched the Faith book, like the Faith book that spawned out of Harbinger Mm-hmm. What I always liked about Faith was, she, you know, she was this bright light that was contrasting with a a really dark book, and that when you took her out of that, 
I, it just it didn't seem as interesting to me. But the way you described her book, like going into like the lore of of the Star Wars universe, I'm I'm more in, in tr- interested in checking it out. Yeah, I was yeah. I was really surprised by uh, how much I enjoyed it by the end of that first arc because the the whole arc deals with re- her reuniting with her father, yeah. who is obsessed with the. I think it's an uh, a new creation for canon, but it's this um like offshoot of the Jedi of I'm assuming the Old Republic, just this kind of nebulous time in the past, who are looking for immortality. I don't remember what they're called off the top of my head because I want to call them the Ogru Jahar from Hellboy. It's like that, (laughs) but not quite. But by the time they get to that end of that first arc, I'm really interested in Afra's story and that her relationship with her dad and how her being... Because she's kind of Indiana Jones meets Han Solo, that's, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's that's what it's she her is. Blend. And in the first issue, I was really kind of like, is the whole series just going to be her like stealing things and ripping people off? And this weird kind of... Because not to get sidetracked immediately, but I'm going to. I like the Indiana Jones movies, but that's some colonialist bullshit. Mm-hmm. Where he's just going into the other cult- he's reading cultures and stealing other shit to put them in a museum. And it's, it belongs it's in some, the museum. It's some white people <laughs> bullshit. Um, and I was really worried that that's what um, Doctor Afro was going to be. Was she just rocks up in these alien or non-human civilizations, steals their shit, and then buggers off for a while? But actually, deep diving into this kind of hitherto unexplored part of the Jedi mythos was really fascinating and how that ties into her her wanting to, to contact the uh, the queen of the Screaming Citadel to tie it all back together, see what I did there um, is actually really really fascinating and kind of I think she's more interesting to me now than she was as the person who dunked on Darth Vader <laughs> Yeah, I I didn't want to like the Dr. Aphra series, to be totally honest with you, because I feel like, I still feel like she should have died, but <laughs> I'm with you, like, the first issue didn't do that much for me, but I kept going, because I do like how Gillen writes her, but it really does pick up, I mean, it's it's much more respectful than Indiana Jones, as far as what she oh, yeah. does, and I do like that they've done what they've done with her set in the original trilogy that she's still finding all these little secrets and things because you never know what somebody might do with that later on when they get a little bit more freedom to explore the the newer movies you know because eventually we're going to get to that point where they're allowed to explore this time period and if she's uncovering all these ancient secrets who knows what's going to be picked up later on and i mean the series itself is just really funny I, I mean, I, I get a good laugh out of out of the things that the, the interaction between her and her droids, who are yeah. my favorite droids in the entire world. It's hilarious how <laughs> much, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, how much like mileage you can get out of different variations in C3PO and R2D2. Yeah, because they're just like C3PO and R2D2, but they want to murder people. Yeah, but, that's, it's but still I love funny. it. I love them so much. <laughs> Like, even in this issue, they have some pretty good moments, mostly to, kind of towards the end. There's a good one when Luke is getting dressed. Oh, that's what I was going to say. And... There's, there's, she's yes. getting dressed, and, and he's giving him a hard time about it, and kind of calling him out on being embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should mention, so I I am an unabashed admirer of Marco Cicchetto's art yeah. in all its forms. I love what the guy does and this is honestly some of his best Star Wars work yeah, yeah definitely um, mm-hmm. Ken and I have mentioned it before but like Shattered Empire was I really liked it but it was let down by the fact that he didn't draw all four all issues yeah um, he he had kind of other artists helping that but like th- having this entire issue and having that that moment of look in the the really fancy suit was just my boy looks good my yeah. is so good. <laughs> he is a lovely boy. I, but yeah, it is like over the last few years seeing Chichetto grow because he used to just be like um kind of like the off artist when um, Stefano Caselli couldn't couldn't be on. But he has yeah. grown into his own talent so much. He feels so at home in the Star Wars universe. He does. Like yeah. His, his style has this weird. He uses like fake lens flares in his artwork, which is an interesting touch. But it still has that weird like lived in rustic effect i'm looking over these pages with the uh the rain effect 
and like the atmosphere he builds through lighting yeah and through these rain effects is so so cool i just yeah. hold on who's the uh who's the colorist and, uh, on this? some of these scenes where the characters are interacting with um a bunch of different alien races it feels like any of the numerous scenes from any of the Star Wars movies where, you know, like the cantina bar scene where yeah. there's all these different, like, they feel like living, breathing cities rather than, you know, just an attempt to, rather than an attempt to recreate something like that, it's like a very natural version of what you've come to expect from a Star Wars movie. You know, I think he, I think he nails that feel as much as he nails the look. Yeah, and it's not just a sea of uh, CGI recreations. Even though, like, yeah. th those panels, especially near the end, are full of established Star Wars species. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, there's Beth there. There's um, Duros. There's Quarren. There's even a Gungan in there, and a Tidarian, <laughs> which is which is gutsy to have to have a Gungan show up in <laughs> a, a, a Marvel comic and not be it just some hey remember Jar Jar joke <laughs> but I want to yeah. talk about the ending somewhat because the ending is very interesting and basically reveals spoiler alert I should mention that we're basically going to spoil the issue for anyone who hasn't read it although it's like at this point a good month old by the time this comes out so you should have read it by now if you're listening to this um, this is on you. This is your fault. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the end of the the issue basically reveals the queen to be some kind of life force vampire, I guess, is what I'm taking for this, which is interesting. Do we think that she's a force user? That I don't. That's where she kind of gets that from. I don't necessarily. I don't think force user would be the proper term for it. Or like, like force sensitive, I guess. Yeah, probably closer to that than yeah. Because I find it interesting that we're seeing more and more characters interact with the concept of the Force without being aligned to specifically the Jedi and the Sith. I mean, I don't know mm -hmm. if she's not a Sith. She looks like she could be a Sith, to be honest. Like, if they wanted to reveal her as some kind of Sith offshoot, that whole red and black aesthetic 100% works with that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a great panel and like, the maybe third last page that shows them all in silhouette with just flat red it's superb the art in this issue is fantastic but i'm fascinated by where this will go and how it will explore that possible connection to the force because it's something that the the story groups introducing more and more is people who interact with the force and who aren't jedi i think we've talked about it before and possibly a rebels discussion I talk about Star Wars so much that it all kind of blends in together. <laughs> you know, I forget, I forget what's been recorded and what hasn't been recorded. I think um, with her, as far as the Force goes, I mean, it's possible that she's one of these kinds of creatures that uh, can absorb a certain amount of power and use it. So it's hmm. possible that she, since she knows what Jedi tastes like, that's what she says, um, <laughs> that... She may be able to channel some of that into a very small amount of power, because I can't imagine she's too powerful. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting place to leave the issue on. Um, obviously, we haven't read the, I haven't read the follow-ups because I'm a bad person. Um, <laughs> but it's an, it's an interesting question that leaves it on, on the nature of how these different beings interact with the force and this concept of you know the the they've talked about how the force kind of the what's the word i'm looking for the cosmic force and the living force being basically analogous to to beings as souls mm -hmm. you know the yoda keeps going on about how people are luminous beings um and i i wonder if that's the kind of thing that's happening here is basically the star wars equivalent of a vampire is someone who can drain that essence from people that luminous essence mm -hmm. which is a, a really interesting twist on bringing these because there's been horror star wars stuff before um i'm specifically thinking of death troopers which i haven't read but all i know of is it had zombie stormtroopers which was an interesting concept but the idea of like a, a vampire in star wars all of this kind is is interesting what do you guys think yeah that's that's another element of this comic that is unlike, you know, despite the fact that we've had, you know, 40 years of Star Wars, or 50 years of Star Wars stories, I can't think of anything that's quite like this, unless I'm missing something from the 
like extended novel universe that, that I just don't, I'm not familiar with, but like this feels like an entirely fresh concept for Star Wars. Yeah, I think even the kind of brief forays that sat into horror before hasn't been yeah. this level of gothic horror. And when you think about it, like, it could have, like, I mean, I know we're just talking about the first part so far, but the concept of, like, force, like, a force vampire sounds so, well, hokey. It's, it sounds kind of silly on paper. Yeah. And then I think that's kind of the magic of um, Kieran Gillen, who's who's yeah. been doing fantastic work on these comics, is bringing that to life in a way that, the and Marco Cicetto as well, kind of bringing mm. that to life on the page in a way that transcends the kind of weirdness of the idea. Yeah. You know, honestly, well, leave it to Kieran Gillen to decide to somehow make a Force vampire interesting. I don't know anyone else who could do that. It has to be, it has to be more goth. Star yeah. Wars yeah. has to be more goth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let me just, uh, before we uh, continue, I, I know we've been talking about Gillen and Chichetto, but um, also a nod to the um, colorist, uh, Andreas Massa. Yes, of course. Because he's... Um, Real good yeah, in this. The colors are gorgeous. So beautiful. Book. Especially how it starts very warm toned with lots of yellow and oranges mm-hmm. before kind of transitioning towards blue and then the deep red comes back into it. It's Yeah. It's a good comic. And that's that's kind of it's something I want to kind of bring us to speaking to kind of on a larger scale than just this one issue is Marvel's Star Wars comics have been pretty good, huh? Yeah, you know, yeah, the other, for the most part. The other thing, since we're on that, I want to mention is I'm behind on Star Wars, the main yeah. series. I have not read past, I think, maybe the second story arc, which whatever the second trade is, that's the last thing I read. And, that would be a showdown on the Smuggler's Moon, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And I picked this up only knowing the Dr. Aphra series, and this is extremely easy to get into. Yeah, yeah, it's entirely so self-contained. Easy. Yeah, like I... I bought the second part because I'm I'm gonna read it because I'm I'm into the storyline, and I I feel like even if I never catch up on what I missed, I can yeah. just keep going. It's fine. I, I you, have the same you thing. You should catch up though. I stopped having caught. I stopped, up, I stopped so reading the um Star Wars book after uh after Vader down. I finished Darth Vader, but that that's about it. I haven't really. Um, I would recommend catching up in Star Wars. I recently mm-hmm. caught up for this arc um just in case or this crossover and also because i'll be uh covering the the comics on the site more often um and there is after vader down there was two more story arcs no there was three more story arcs Mm -hmm. there was rebel jail which was a crossover that focused on princess leia afra and stanistaros um there was last flight of the harbinger which had the rebels hijack a star destroyer which is nice. The the first issue of that um, story arc is one of my favorite Star Wars comics of all time. I'm no hyperbole there at all. Genuinely think that. And the last story arc before this issue was Yoda's Secret War, which had a flashback to before Phantom Menace and dealt with Yoda um, landing on this planet and had this mystery to do with this this new way of interacting with the force and Jason Aaron the way he taps into Yoda's voice in that arc is unbelievable I read every line of dialogue from Yoda in Yoda's voice and those issues it was <laughs> stunning so I would re- recommend catching up on this stuff yeah and I think it goes to show you, you mentioned Jason Aaron and we've been talking about Gillen with this uh, comic Those are, that's like two of Marvel's best writers if not their very two best They've been putting a lot of great resources towards the Star Wars books, so it's like not an accident <coughs> that they're, for the most part, really, really good. Like oh, they're yeah. putting the they're putting the resources towards it, actually, mm-hmm. almost to the detriment of their own superhero <laughs> properties, really. A little bit, because well, Jason Aaron seems to be focusing, like, because he's only what is he still doing Thor? He's a, yeah, Thor, he's only got yeah. Thor, and um, but like his focus seems to be on like. His image work with like Southern Bastards and uh, the Goddamned, I think, is still going. Yeah, um, so I haven't heard about that. So yeah, um, kind of. But like his his work in Star Wars has been tremendous, honestly. Yeah. And I think Doctor Afra is Kieran's only Marvel book. 
It is, yeah. That's yeah. all he's doing now. He's doing just that and Wiktiv, and I think he's still doing that the stuff for Avatar. Yeah, and um, I think he put up. He actually put a photo of um, whatchamacallit on Tumblr. Uh, apparently, they're starting work on Ludocrats again. It's just interesting to me because, um, so as part of, I don't know if you guys have heard, I have a bit of a reading challenge going on with Brian where he's reading most <laughs> as many of the new canon novels as he can before the release of The Last Jedi and I'm reading all of the extended universe novels ever just because <laughs> oh, I geez. hate myself um, I'm two down and I'm 150 something to go oh my um, god and then you know, I also started reading the old uh, Dark Horse Star Wars comics at the same time and have read I reread Dark Empire and I started reading Tales of the Jedi and it is a stark difference how much this feels like Star Wars and some of those old Dark Horse comics felt like generic sci-fi yeah. mm-hmm. heavy metal-ish science fantasy with some Star Wars characters into it like yep. there, was a, there was a stark difference there which is such a strange thing to, to, to see because um, Lucasfilms has always been involved in this mm-hmm. and it's like they kind of saw that Marvel was a chance for them to do it right, and so they are. <laughs> yeah, it's because yeah. a lot of those comics are set like Dark Empire was set, however many years, ten or nine years after Return of the Jedi, and Tales of the Jedi was set like four thousand years before the entire trilogy. So it was artists kind of feeling out the the Star Wars past and the Star Wars future, I guess, without any kind of real help from the movies to go on just their kind of generalist ethic but a lot of what they came up with is it feels really weird in a non-star wars way whereas this feels weird in a star wars way if that makes sense it's a really nebulous comparison that doesn't hold up in court but i i this this feels more like star wars despite how many risks it takes in terms of um tone Mm -hmm. than what i've been reading with the dark horse one so far yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, I didn't read that much of the Dark Horse stuff, but I read some of the stuff that came out towards the end, and it's, it is really different. It is really, yeah. really different. Like, and I mean, I want... this is, this is like, this is fun. This is something I think people who only, who only respond to the movies will enjoy, um, which I don't think was the case with the Dark Horse stuff. Yeah. yeah. The, the Dark Horse stuff felt like more, at least so far as what I've, experienced felt a lot like this is for the Star Wars nerds mm-hmm. um, which I get we all kind of are but this feels more like you know having super duper nerds I'm yeah okay I have a Star Wars podcast so what <laughs> um, yeah. but you know like this feels like anyone could, who just saw a Star Wars comic on the shelf could pick up and enjoy mm-hmm. and has you know, it has those, like, kind of the classic trio heroes, as well as new characters and new concepts and new ideas that still feel ingrained in the world of Star Wars, as opposed to being these, like... There, there is... So, there, in the Tales of the Jedi stuff, one of the issues has a spaceship that is made out of a hollowed-out giant space wasp. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> That's a weird thing. And it feels really not Star wars Whereas this feels weird and gothic and kind of cool, but still ingrained in that Star Wars-ness. It's this weird nebulous quality that I can't quite pin down, but it's there. I think it's a lot of why it works. Yeah. Plus, I think Marvel, I mean, as much as I'd like to see new talent get involved, I think Marvel has done a really good job at picking who they let play in this sandbox. I mean, Kieran Gillen is Kieran Gillen, and Jason For Aaron's sure. Jason Aaron. I mean, I, I mean, I can complain as much as I want that, yeah, we've seen so much from them. It's the same guys, but they do it well. They're also really good at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, yeah. Do, they do this well, so... I'll take it. I think the, the only complaint I'd have with talent is the fact that, like, Kieran Gillen or Jason Aaron are incredibly worth their salt. Like, getting them on these books made them headline books, mm-hmm. I think, more than just the quality inherent to them. Mm-hmm. But I feel like every other Star Wars book we've seen has either been by Colin Bunn or Charles Soule, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're just swapping yep. out those two for the yep. miniseries a lot. Yeah. And I'd like to see more newer writers be able well, to tackle kind of 
the, the really weird yeah. stuff because the oh, other thing yeah. is that a lot of the mini series we've seen have been like here's Han Solo you know here's <sighs> Chewbacca you know that kind of thing I, yeah. I, f- I feel like if that's gonna happen it's not gonna happen for a while I mean you and me we want to see the Old Republic again I do want to see Old but Republic again. I would unless, really like to see that. Unless we're actually getting a Knights of the Old Republic game, I have a feeling that's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I'd love it, but yeah. I would, I would love it as well, because mostly I'm fascinated by this, like, Lucasfilm version of the Old Republic. You know, one that's not, one that's, like, in-house with the story group expanding on the history of Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that I took from this this issue is a lot of writers tend to write Luke as kind of a vanilla sort of generic hero sometimes, I think. And uh, I know uh, Alice, uh, Luke's your favorite. Luke's my favorite, you know. Um, He's my boy. Everybody... He's my tiny boy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're, you're, you're little baby son. And, uh, and I think... Gillen does an incredible job of giving him a little bit of a personality, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, like a swagger and a confidence that a lot of writers don't ascribe to him sometimes, I think. Yeah, especially uh, in that, that first totally scene in the bar. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it didn't read false to me at all. Um, Luke, Luke is at the point in his development where he's kind of gaining that that confidence. You know, mm-hmm. he's not he's not a trained Jedi yet. He's not... The, the character that we see in Return of the Jedi, but he's also not, as he says in this issue, he's not just a farm boy anymore. Yeah, because so, I think if you uh, remember, I, like, I in, in A New Hope, he did have that kind of, like, farm boy swagger, where he just kind of rushed headlong into problems without really thinking them through, um, and was very headstrong, and I feel like people, th- writers tend to equate his lack of experience as a Jedi with just a lack of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, almost, and kind of write him as, you know, it's there's a good interaction between him and Afra here, where he is somewhat naive compared to her. Kind of, she's pretty much taking advantage of him, and I feel like he knows that though. Like he's not like wandering in clueless. Like, gee, Willikers, Afra, I I don't know what's going. On. Like he he knows that he's being played, but he has something to gain out of this. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I love, and I also love, as my favorite aspect of these, the Star Wars comic, is that they, br- they brought back the, uh, the gold jacket from the end of A New Hope. I love that which jacket. Was suppo- yes. It was supposed to be his uh, like costume or outfit, whatever you want to call it, in Empire Strikes Back, but they kind of just got rid of it for some reason. And I'm so glad that it's been kept around for these comics because it's his best look other than Return of the Jedi with the, the all black and the, the glove. Uh-huh. The glove is iconic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the jackets that they, they try to sell us, I mean, it's just not sidetracking too much, but like, We Love Fine and Hot Topic are always making mm-hmm. replica jackets, so I can't get a replica jacket of the gold Luke one. Yeah. If they did a replica of that jacket, I would go bankrupt. They've got rage. They've they've got they've got the Rogue One jackets. They've got mm-hmm. the Finn jacket, but they don't have this jacket. It's a shame. They're leaving Star money Wars on the has... table. Yeah, <laughs> Star Wars, I'm just realizing that Star Wars has some iconic ass jackets. Yeah, yeah, it does. Because there's this one, Han Solo's like vest in A New Hope, as well as his like kind of longer jacket in Empire Strikes Back. Which that mm-hmm. Han Solo jacket is so iconic that Poe is wearing it in The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see that? I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's some good ass jackets then, in this then, universe. And then I mean, Poe's and then Poe's jacket, jacket has the uh, yeah. And then Poe's jacket will no doubt become more iconic as the years go by. See if Afra gets a movie, right? And she mm-hmm. wears that jacket. That's gonna take its place in the pantheon of great <laughs> Star Wars jackets. I would genuinely love for a Afro appearance in a movie. Oh, I, I think do. that would be really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not anti Han Solo movie, but I feel like if you were going to do a solo movie, given all the money you've already made and how everyone's going to go see Star Wars anyway, Dr. Mm-hmm. Afro would have been a great standalone. For sure. Like I I like I get why they're doing a Han, Han Solo movie. Yeah. And yeah. I think what we've seen of it is interesting. But yeah, like every argument that's like there's so much more interesting things that they could have been doing also rings true. 
I, I think Rogue One proved that you can introduce new characters and we're gonna go crazy over them. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be based around an an established cast. Yeah. No, it was somewhat of an established idea yeah. in universe um, that you could sell it on, but like just saying like, hey, there's a new Star Wars movie, everyone. You gonna go see it? Yes. The resounding chorus <laughs> is yes, no matter what it's about. Especially after how good, you know, Force Awakens is, I feel like they've brought back a lot of brand loyalty. Yeah. Like, I could, I mean, I'm gonna see Han Solo anyway, but I'd be so sure. into a Dr. Aphra movie. That'd be so fun. I mean, you already brought, you already had Darth Vader in Rogue One. There's no, I mean, you don't have to make her movie centered around her partnership with him. You mm -hmm. can have him show up the way you did in Rogue One for a little bit kind of establish that and then have her go her own way you can hmm. do it while still being loyal to that older universe and you know what else it could do it could tie into the old republic because she's an archaeologist and that could be what her like story arc is and that with her digging up old republic artifacts there you go. Oh, <laughs> we're my. trademarking this and we're pitching this to we're making this happen Multiversity saves the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I have, like, I think we mentioned this last time because we mentioned the uh, the upcoming Darth Vader series, which is, sur surprise, surprise, written by Charles Soule. Yeah. Um, it is, right? It's not written it by Colin Bunn. It I is, yeah. Two mixed up once, and I will forever got, get them no, mixed up. No, uh, Bunn um, is doing, uh, he's doing Darth Maul right now, so he can't have is... two Darths. He's got yeah. only, he can only get one. Has anyone read the Darth Maul comic yet? I have not. I haven't. I, although, it's good. It, I haven't read it, but I, I have only heard good things, though. Like, I, I, I haven't seen anyone hate it. I was surprised at what they would do with it, because I, I, I'm kind of worried between his return in Clone Wars and in Rebels that he was kind of getting oversaturated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a good comic, because it takes place just before The Phantom Menace, and it's very, like, exploring his... Yeah. like. He's so pent up with this the Sith rage that he wants to murder every Jedi he sees. And That's Sidious great. is like, no, you're not doing a goddamn thing until I tell you to do. And he's he's like chomping at the bit to just to get some action. Um and there is appearances by uh Cad Bane in yeah. a really, really interesting way. And uh what's her name? Aura Singh, the the bald one with the, the ponytail. You guys know what I'm talking about? I do, yeah. Yes. Yeah, she's very from, from like from from the Jedi Council. Uh, no, no, she's, no, she's uh, a bounty hunter. A bounty hunter. She was in. Oh, the bounty hunter. Okay. Yeah, I think she first showed up in Phantom Menace actually. Uh, during I, the pod racing. In a cameo, but she yeah. was in that first episode of Clone Wars that had Cad Bane. She was. Yeah, she showed up in uh, Clone Wars a couple things, but like their appearances and they like work with uh, Darth Maul for a bit. In a really interesting, uh, really interesting way. I like Darth Maul. Turns out Darth Maul's pretty cool, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that Darth Vader book that's coming out, what's mm -hmm. the what's the deal with that? Where does it take place? So it I takes only place... know that I saw that he's writing it, but I don't know what it's yeah. actually about. So it's Charles Soule, and I want to see it's Giuseppe Camincoli. Yeah. I'm looking. At yeah. It is. Um, and it's set just after Revenge of the Sith. Oh gosh! Oh boy! He, yeah. Okay. Soul described it. Soul described it as uh, as Darth Vader Year One. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh boy. Um, the preview that they uh, showed was like they've redone and extended the scene. Do you know the infamous scene at the end of Revenge of the Sith where Darth Vader wakes up and he does his big no? <laughs> they yeah. put that in the comic. <laughs> oh man! Um, All right. Um. And it's, it's kind of interesting because I think I can't remember if I mentioned this to Ken or not in one of the previous episodes but this is 100% the same idea I had for a potential Darth Vader movie <laughs> you did is, mention you it yeah it, you said it right after Revenge of the Sith and it's about how Darth Vader makes his Sith lightsaber and goes mm -hmm. through the Sith trials under Sidious to become the like purge Anakin from himself Mm -hmm. Right, and I sat with this movie, and I was like, "This would be a really cool idea." And as soon as they announced that comic, I was like, "Oh, they just did it as a comic." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's a really good concept because it's like, really cool, and I'm glad you know, someone's doing it. Yeah, because I mean, Darth Vader is supposed to be like the scariest dude when he's like mm -hmm. at the height of his power. So 
how does he go from sad Anakin to that? And then back again, and we know how he gets back to caring about his son, you know? So, like, all that time in between, that's not a bad idea. I just yeah. I just hope Soul is the guy that can do it. That's that's my thing, because I dropped the Poe Dameron series. Really? I, yeah, I don't, I, I just, I couldn't get into it. I read, like, three issues, and I was like, I don't know, this, this isn't doing it for me. I don't. And you know, I love Poe. And... <laughs> I, I don't think Phil Noto was ever a good fit for that book. That's interesting because I, I like Phil really Noto, but I don't know. I had a I had the same problem. I I read a bit of the first trade, but I, I just couldn't get into it. And I think a I, lot of it had to do with uh, Phil Noto. Oh, Not see, that I found him bad, but yeah. See, for me, it's the opposite. I think Noto's art is beautiful. I just I just couldn't like get into the story as much as I wanted yeah. to, but. I mean, it's still going, so that might be yeah. the next thing I try to catch up on. I mean, it's fun. I think the other problem with it is that I, I talked about this with Alice on the uh, last episode, but you know, there was a lot of people that were annoyed when it was announced that were annoyed that we couldn't get a, a Ray or uh, a Finn mm. comic. But we argued that there's not much you could have done with them, and that out of the three characters, Poe was probably the most you could do with in a comic. But even yeah. that is limited. Well, I mean, with Ray, it's pretty obvious why you can't do yeah. anything with her because she's yeah. going to be tied to big like twists the, and turns. Yeah. And... The way they ended The Force Awakens kind of, like, they couldn't do anything set after The Force Awakens for, the, like, the last two years, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but... So all they could do was go backwards to just before it, and Poe mm-hmm. was the only choice because otherwise, like, Ray's just sitting about farting about in the desert yeah. and fends off being a super... Uh, superhero stormtrooper. Yeah, and I think the the Greg Rucka book, the the novel. I think yeah. th- he introduced some really. He, his Finn story was interesting, but I think he's still off the table because you don't know what they might have in store for Finn. Because mm-hmm. yeah. he may still be force sensitive, or you know, we don't know everything about him yet. So mm-hmm. it's it's it would be it would be tough to do something extended that's just about him being a stormtrooper especially since he is so young still yeah because like that story basically covered his like and it covered everything a, yeah. a, other than like his actual childhood his entire yeah. training as a stormtrooper yeah i mean mm-hmm. that that told everything i think you needed to know about his being a stormtrooper i don't know if there's more to tell so yeah. at least with poe you've got everything that he ever did before the movie which is mm-hmm. a lot you know there's a lot and it's not a secret we know who his parents are yeah. you know we know that from the get-go and yeah we know that he's Le- leia's favorite and <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot more you could do with him i just i i think i think maybe i just need to give it a, more of a chance because yeah. i just couldn't get into the story of the first three issues I thought the art was beautiful though i would say like having caught up with it um I would say give it another go. Um, I would say that also that the the comic kind of I think it really kicks off with the third arc. You know, the okay. third arc is where Agent Terex's story kind of evolves a bit more, and you kind of get to see more of a conflict other than because the I think one of my problems in the beginning with it was the concept of you know it's about Poe's hunt for Lor Santeca, which mm-hmm. we know how that ends on Jakku. And so a lot of the comic feels like it's farting about kind of, oh, maybe he's over here. We already know he's not, right? Yeah. We already know that until he gets to Jakku, he's not meeting Lor Santeca. So it takes a while for them to really forge that kind of rivalry with um, Poe and Agent Terex. And the third arc is where it kind of really kicks off, I think. And that last issue that came out, um, I want to say it's like 14, maybe? Um, I reviewed it for the site, and I really liked it. It's a kind of decompression issue between between story arcs, and I'm really interested to see where the next arc goes. And I think it's going to be. I think they're 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 finally kind of developing into something that's that's really interesting beyond just hey, more Poe Dameron stories. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'd say give um, it a go. I'll give it another yeah. shot. Is there anything else we want to cover? Mm-hmm. No, just glad that yeah, we've got good. good that we've got good co- Star Wars comics. Okay, so I think that's going to be a kind of good point to wrap up our discussion. We talked about, you know, Shattered, uh, not Shattered, Screaming Citadel. Um, I recently reread Shattered Empire, and that's on my mind. But uh, we talked about the Screaming Citadel one shot and how it's really good, and how you should probably be reading these Marvel 
Star Wars comics if you haven't already because they're they're good ass comics people comics are good again and it's because of Star Wars um is anyone saving the world (laughs) honestly like there's some of the best comics out there right now that are you know kind of quote unquote big two related I'd say cool so tell everyone kind of where they can find you let's start with uh Jess um, I'm, I'm a writer for Multiversity, so I have a bunch of stuff going, and now I'm doing an X-Men column, so, you know, that's a thing, and you should read it, and, um, uh, I'm on Twitter, at Camacho Jess, but I don't tweet anything important. It's mostly just <laughs> wrestling fanfic, so, I mean, if you're into that, then, yeah. It's, that's important <laughs> to some people. <laughs> <laughs> and Vince, where can the people find you? Uh, so... As you mentioned, I am part of the DC3, which is a weekly podcast where we, uh, Brian makes us read all the DC comics that came out that week, or else we get whipped with chains. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and sometimes I, I contribute to the uh, weekly Shonen Jump column on, on Multiversity, so you can, you can catch me there too. On Twitter, I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I, and I'm spending most of my time being mad about Trump these days so as are we all yeah (laughs) and ken close us out um same thing i'm on multiversity comics as well um you can find me on twitter at discrun scholar i'm on tumblr at discrunscholar.tumblr.com and i have a streaming i have a twitch account but i'm very inconsistently there and i've been alice w castle keep listening listeners as Ken will be back to talk with me about the recently released Thrawn novel by Timothy Zahn, which is going to be interesting because, spoiler alert, I really like that book. So (laughs) stick around for that conversation. Welcome back, everyone. What you just heard was our first half talking about the Screaming Citadel and the Marvel Comics Star Wars lines. And as I mentioned at the end of it, I'm joined once again by Ken, and we're going to be talking about Timothy Zahn's recent Thrawn novel, which looks at the origins of the Thrawn character since his reintroduction into canon in Star Wars Rebels. Say hello, everyone, to everyone, Ken. Hello, again. It, It doesn't really work, the fact that you were... In the last part, and now you're returning, but... You're never getting rid of me. Oh, yeah, no. You're you're becoming a regular at this point. I am. I've been in... You've been I think, in the, only episode, I think I the only episode I haven't been in was that special you and Brian did. Oh, yeah. that Well, yeah, that, that was a special episode. Mm. So let's talk about Thrawn, because we both have, I think, similar... Uh, reactions to this book which was from my side has a kind of slow kind of dry beginning and I really got into it by the end yeah I I was very similar I I just have to say I'm I'm a slow prose reader by nature but even when I was reading this book for a long time it there's some interesting things but it, it was very very slow I'm normally okay with that. Like, it, this isn't really an action-y book at all. It's definitely more of a political, subtle subtle book, and I'm fine with that. I mean, one of my favorites was Darth Plagueis, and that was a very slow political book, too. Yeah, I think that was actually one of the things that I liked about it, even during the kind of slower parts near the beginning of the book, where it's pretty much just Thrawn going through the Imperial Academy. It kind of reminded me of... Lost Stars a little bit with the Imperial Academy stuff, but what it really reminded me of was Catalyst, the Rogue One prequel by James Luceno, and how it kind of really like dived deep into the politics of Coruscant mm. and these kind of layers, the hierarchy of people since the Empire has taken over, and that's that really fascinates me, and I'm really glad that we got to see another side of that because it focused even more on the senators and the political aspect of that through price which yeah. i thought and i know we've talked about this kind of briefly before the podcast you weren't in those sections as much as i was i i really wasn't i i found i found it to be a struggle to get through some of price's sections honestly i did not really find her that intriguing because that's pretty fascinating because i found at a certain point i almost found her stuff more interesting than thrones because I, I, we should mention, I feel like I keep forgetting to do this at the top of every session. We're going to talk spoilers. 
we're 100% going to spoil this novel. If you haven't read it already and you don't care about getting spoiled on it, especially the twist near the end, you should probably maybe give up listening. <laughs> but if you don't care about spoilers, I feel like I got that backwards. I feel like I said if you don't care about spoilers and then don't care about spoilers. But you know what I mean? We're going to spoil the novel. Basically, during the kind of middle part, when it just turns into the... <laughs> Eli and Thrawn looking at charts yeah. for a long time. I kind of went, yeah, let's let's go see what Price is doing. Let's go see what her weird rivalry with the Senators is because this whole shipment thing kind of got kind of mm. old for me after a while. Mm-hmm. And see, I I'm not I'm not gonna say that was it was the most that was one of the most exciting parts, but I felt like I was getting bombarded with so much information with Price's. Mm-hmm. meetings and stuff that i was like i what i'm, I'm confused because but once they start tying together the two stories start tying together it gets a lot better yeah the one of the things that i no- noticed about the, the novel is it introduces a lot of elements and then are kind of vague about how i guess important they are mm-hmm. um during prices kind of sections of novels early on there's all these different senators and governors that she's interacting with and she's got these really two close friends whose names I can't remember because I can't remember them I think either. one of them was called Driller. Something I don't, like that. I don't remember. I, I'm blanking on the name and I don't have a copy of the novel to hand because I'm a bad host. But those two characters, for the longest time, I kind of felt like I don't know what significance they're playing in the actual kind of grand scheme of the story until later on and then things start to be revealed mm-hmm. but that initial kind of vagueness where there's kind of this implied oh well you're going to find out eventually or you hope kind of felt like you're kind of focusing on characters and you're kind of waiting for it the the relevance to make itself clear yeah so i guess we've talked about thrawn and price to a degree so mm-hmm. we should talk about I thrawn's should... best buddy yeah, please no, please stop noticing me, senpai Eli Vanto, as you as you called him before, before the call. Um, perhaps the unluckiest character in all of Star Wars fiction, outside of uh, what's his face, Admiral Piet. Oh yeah, I feel like there's a lot of there's like a running joke. Actually, that's impure characters who just get just get the worst luck. But we are being a bit unfair because you know, as we talk about it, Eli. It, it's the weirdest thing. Eli is Thrawn's only friend. Yeah. It really does it's... feel like that kind of, well, that kind of Holmes and Watson it, yeah, in some ways. Because um, for, for a lot of the novel, at least in the beginning, it feels like Eli is the the like emotional focus of the novel. And we're seeing Thrawn interact with the Empire through him, which was interesting way of doing it because at a certain point Thrawn kind of takes over the narrative or at least takes over his own narrative and just kind of keeps Eli around and Mm -hmm. I I know that one of the things that Zon was going for here was that the idea that that Eli is feeling stuck in his position yeah for the longest time he's he's kept down as an ensign for for no reason other than just to to keep him around Thrawn yeah and part of his emotional reaction is to find to feel restrained. But part of my reaction as a reader is, okay, is this going to like pick up, or is he just going to be what's essentially like the lowest of the lowest rungs for the rest of the novel? Like, yeah, it was kind of a weird. I want to. I want. I almost want to say like it was spinning its wheels a little bit until things start to pick up with the the Night Swan art. Yeah. Speaking of the uh, Night Swan is essentially the the villain, uh, quote quotes yeah. villain of this book. What did you think of that plotline? So I'll tell you what I think of that plotline. When again, spoilers. When Night Swan is revealed and Eli goes to his like space station thing and sits down with them, and you finally get to put a name to Night Swan. I completely forgot who that was supposed to be. I did too. I was like, wait, I, what? Who? Because it brings up and he's like, ah, what was his name? Signy? Something like Signy, that? Signy, yeah. He was a very bit character early on in the novel. To the point I was but like, also wait, did we... He also zero impression on me. Yeah, that's, I'm like, they're subtle. And then there's, 
Wait, what? Because he shows up literally once, and I I sat there being like, is that is that an Imperial guy? Is yeah, that that's what I guys? thought too. I thought it was one of the kids from the Academy. Yeah. That, like, beat up Thrawn earlier in the novel and was coming back for revenge. And then it's just like, oh yeah, no, that guy that hijacked the Tabana Gas that you saw once and yeah. thought you'll never see him again. Yeah, he's the main villain. And I kind of went, oh, okay. Uh, it was a very yeah. strange, uh, I guess, twist kind of a strange reveal <laughs> I, I think it might have worked more if we'd seen more of at him least, a little yeah, bit more of him not too like much at, but at least one other kind of appearance from him to kind of reiterate like hey remember that signy guy he might be showing up more and then to kind of tie him to next one but that to have him show up once and then pretty much disappear and then to have knights one show up and then like retroactively link those two with that reveal it, yeah it, it, it took me by surprise only now so far as i went wait i don't remember who that guy is <laughs> i had i had to go back and look up to be like who the hell is this guy yeah it's not the greatest reveal in the world and um speaking of reveals there is a um yeah. that's not the twist of the book there is a different twist um it's kind of overshadowed by this twist yeah. Um, okay, so a little background about Thrawn. Prior to the uh, continuity reboot, he was exiled from his people called the um, the Chiss Ascendancy. Now, what this book, it starts with him in exile. Like, mm-hmm. a, a group of Imperials discover him on this backwater planet. That he was in exile. He's got, you know, he's got a great tactical mind. He embeds himself with the Imperials the and the Emperor. The twist here is that He's not actually an exile in this continuity. He was planted by the Chiss Ascendancy to make it seem like he was an exile. And he has basically been palling around inside the Imperial military complex for what feels like a good decade or so. I don't think it was. A, I don't think it's been a decade. I think right. I, I want to say like five-ish years. That's another problem yeah. with this book is that it's really. It doesn't specify time. It does go up to like it Literally ends right before, before Rebel, Rebel season, season three, three because the ending of this book is the uh, Battle of Baton that was mentioned mm-hmm. in Thrawn's introduction in that show. It, yeah, there is a huge kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like passage of time, but because it's not specified, it feels like a while, but could also have just been like a couple a of years. Few years. Yeah. But, like, the point is, basically, like, by name-dropping Anakin Skywalker, Thrawn was able to completely infiltrate uh, Palpatine's whole empire yeah, and work it from the inside out and get all of the information he needs and also just kind of do his own thing for a while. And the, and the reason he was planted as a spy, um, because the Chiss, they don't know what to think of the, of the empire. Because they are fighting things in the unknown regions, and they don't know if the Empire could be an ally or or uh, not an enemy, a liability. Yeah, because there's there's I don't have the quote in front of me because again I'm a bad host. Yeah. But there's Thrawn talks about the idea that like there are some things in this galaxy that are pure evil. Oh, it's actually on the hold on, it's actually on the back of the cover. Yeah. Of the book. Hold on. There are things in this universe that are simply and purely evil. A warrior does not seek to understand them or to compromise with them. He seeks only to obliterate them. And that's kind of kind of a theme for the novel and a lot of kind of what you don't see about Thrawn's thinking process, or at least you kind of see it retroactively after this reveal, is him deciding whether the Empire is that evil. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating me because as we've mentioned multiple times on the show, I haven't read Heir to the Empire, or I am yeah. currently reading Heir to the Empire. I'm about 10 chapters into it. I'm uh-huh. still fairly kind of near the beginning, but I hadn't read it when I was reading Thrawn. And so I didn't know about, as, like, I, this didn't read as a twist to me because I didn't, I wasn't familiar enough with Thrawn's um, history during the expanded universe, the mm-hmm. previous canon, to know yeah. that changing that from being exiled to being fake exiled and being a plan was such a big twist yeah um like it still read as a reveal but i didn't know it was a twist of that magnitude yeah and so i guess the okay i don't know which one i should we should talk about first because i actually did kind of have a problem with how this was revealed 
Let's go with that first. I didn't like that it, he revealed this to Night Swan. Okay. Mostly because I just didn't particularly think Night Swan was a really good antagonist. Yeah. I really wish this had been revealing to Eli. Yeah, because he does like eventually reveal it because the, the yeah. epilogue is him like with uh, Thrawn's journal, yeah. which is implied to be what the uh, the italicized entries at the beginning of each chapter yeah. are from, and. So, like, Eli does find out about this and does find out about the Chiss Ascendancy and even goes to join them. Yeah, that's why, which I feel like that was needed, one, to provide a sequel hook, and two, to give a reason as to why Eli is not in Rebels. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, because Eli buggers off and joins the Chiss Ascendancy and isn't in Rebels. That's actually a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. But it's interesting because it's it's both a sequel hook, but also just this kind of larger implication for the universe, which I think the story group is good at. Yeah. Which so, is these these re- these small reveals that have wider implications. But, yeah. That but, this could be picked up in any other story. Yeah, between this like, and aftermath and stuff, because yeah, because aftermath this we learned that end. Thrawn had a hand in the contingents, and mm. now you got to think anything this guy has had a hand in, there's got to be some other ulterior motive he has. Yeah, because now we know that in a roundabout way, which kind of makes sense. Thrawn had a hand in creating the First Order because he provided the information of the Unknown Regions, which led to the Contingency Plan, which led to um, Sloan going to the Unknown Regions of Space to start the First Order. Yeah. Which is a roundabout way of connecting him to the... The post-Return of the Jedi era. Yeah. Um, That's actually actually kind of quite clever. Like, it doesn't completely retell like the it whole doesn't make the, him the, the it doesn't thing. make him the head of the imperial remnant but it mm. makes him have a uh a he hand still has a tie to it yeah and to be fair we don't actually know that he doesn't have a hand in the first order because we don't know if he's still around at that point yeah which, which i guess this is a, this is a better question for you since i haven't i haven't watched the full season okay how would you compare thrawn in this book to how he's depicted in the rebel show so I found that really interesting. So I really loved Lars Mikkelsen's performance in Rebels. Me too. Right? I, the presence that he has in that show is fantastic. But the one thing that I found interesting about this novel is that I wasn't reading Thrawn's dialogue in that voice, you know? Really? Do you know who I was reading him as? Who? I was reading him as Spock. Huh. All of his dialogue, the cadence feels like Spock to me. Yeah. I mean, I still was, I was still reading it in Mickelson's voice, but I just feel like I first, I have a voice to like compare him to now. Mm -hmm. Like another example, like when I was rereading Game of Thrones, when I was reading um, Tywin Lannister's dialogue, I was reading it as Charles Dance. Yeah. Even though I did read the books first. I yeah, feel like kind of in a, the show, thing. I guess because we're not seeing it through Imperial eyes, <laughs> mm-hmm. he comes off as more villainous in the show. Yeah, but one of the things that I found, so one of the things I've talked about in way back in, what what was our Rebels episode? Was that episode one? Mm. Uh, when I talked about that with, uh, I think it was Zach and Robbie. It I, was, like, it was, we were only th- yeah, that, we were three episodes in and I'm already forgetting yeah, who was on was, the show. It's I think that was episode bad. I think that was episode one. But in our, our Rebel segment, I talked about how I felt like, because I hadn't read any Thrawn uh, novel appearances, I was imagining that Thrawn worked better as a novel's character compared to how he appeared in the show. Because in the show, the end of every episode was kind of like, ah, well, the Rebels won, but I got this small piece of information that I will be able to use four episodes down the line to do something small. And it kind of... It, it gave this idea that Thrawn had a grand plan mm-hmm. and was allowing the rebels' victories to to kind of narrow in and let them fall into his trap naturally. Yeah. Which works in a grand scheme of things when you're doing a novel and kind of get that condensed in one go. But strung over like 20 episodes, he seemed kind of ineffectual until the end of the season because you're yeah. just letting them win. And we were just kind of taking it as granted that, oh, he has some kind of plan backing this up. 
But I feel like having that storyline condensed and being able to see his thought process of, okay, well, if Night Swan is doing this and he's leaving this calling card on this planet and he's doing this over here, he's able to, you can see him mapping out the strategy in his head yeah. more easily than just kind of these almost not throwaway scenes, but these like tag on scenes to the end of episodes of Rebels where he's just like, oh yeah, well, the Rebels got away this time, but you know, it's fine because... I'll get, I'll them, get them next eventually. time. Yeah, it's it's weird. I I don't think his 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 approach is specifically methodical, right? Yeah, and having that play out in episodic segments, I feel like makes him again kind of ineffectual until that plan is sprung. implemented. Yeah, um, he's not a very active antagonist. He just kind of he he creates plans around the actions of the heroes, and then eventually plan comes to fruition and he's, I feel like that worked better here than in Rebels yeah he can be more reactive uh, at times than than uh, proactive to see it from like his perspective and seeing because he is like obviously the novels about him but he's also very like you get a sense inside his head which I wasn't expecting because mm-hmm. there's there's these segments during kind of chapters where in like italicized uh, text you're seeing him like read facial expressions and and be able to like read reactions. Through yeah, it, facial it was. Feet. It goes back to that comparisons with Sherlock Holmes again. Oh yeah, it's it's one hundred percent Sherlock Holmes, but it's done in a way that makes him feel specifically very alien. Yeah, right. Because he's like he has this whole thing where he can see like a broader spectrum than human eyes, right? Yes. Um, and so he's able to see how people are like flushing in spirit certain ways and read their emotional responses to things through that and it makes it, it reminds you constantly that this guy is not human yeah. he's not thinking in a very human way and that was the those were the interesting parts of his sections of the novels to me yeah there was one scene i remember which i kind of got a laugh out mostly because i was just thinking about it like a thinking of a humorous way when he has to um disguise himself to go meet with price oh yeah that was mostly because I'm just it, it like describes him as like with this big cloak on and like glasses to hide his red eyes, and I'm just trying to I'm just trying to find that in a funny way. It like it almost reminds me of the uh, like in the the MCU movies. Everyone's idea of a disguise is a baseball cap and glasses, yeah, and maybe a hoodie. And I just like the idea of this Thrawn being like, well, no one can know it's me because I have blue skin and glowing red eyes. Yeah. I'm going to get the biggest cloak I can and look completely conspicuous while trying to hide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So... I kind of want to swing back around and talk about price for a little bit. Okay. Because what I, I, I had a really interesting connection to price during this novel because I, I think I mentioned... I kind of liked her segments somewhat more than the Thrones during the the kind of middle part of the the novel, and I actually liked her segments of the end of the novel a lot better. I feel like the end of the novel, yeah, they they strengthened her book. They strengthened a lot in the uh, that last third. And the I think it even it'll be I'm I'm interested for you watching the next season the third season of Rebels yeah. with this context because I think it does some very interesting things in the fleshing out the backstory of Price and you mm-hmm. kind of see because there's a lot of theming about loyalty to the Emperor yeah and we we see both Thrawn and Price act in a way that makes them very good imperials but also very selfish if yeah. you know what i mean uh-huh. where you know thrawn does things in a way that no other imperial would he thinks tactically in a way that none of the humans would yeah that kind of, that, that kickstarts he his actually career. uses logic yeah but it's all he's a great imperial because he doesn't think like an imperial yeah and there's moments where price acts very selfishly and actually like there's parts where she murders stormtroopers because it will make sure her parents are safe. Yeah. And that's fascinating to me to see someone whose whole agenda throughout the novel was to, to rise up in the ranks of the Imperials just being like, nah, fuck y'all. Y'all can go to hell. I want to make sure my family is okay. That was 
those were the best chapters for me in this book. Yeah. What else was there that we thought went to talk about? I don't know. I think we covered everything we really needed to cover. It's kind of a light book, to be honest. There's a lot. Yeah, of... considering it's four, like 420 pages. No, I guess we could just go into final conclusions. Sure, that sounds good. Um, good. It's um, it's a flawed book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's one of the things that take away. I think this is the first since Heir to the Jedi. This is the one book that I've came away from in the new canon, being like, there's definite negative aspects to that I can highlight. You know, there's there's stuff that you can say about kind of the aftermath trilogy and what am I blanking on here? I don't know. Like, I didn't. Re- like, I didn't read Catalyst, so I didn't read Catalyst or the Rogue One novelization, so I can't attest to those. Uh, I think the, the novelizations are fairly boring I to flipped, me. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't, flipped through I don't the uh, novelizations. Force mean, well, the only one, the only Star Wars novelization that I really liked was um, Matt Stover's Revenge, of the, Revenge of the Sith. That's the only good one. Yeah, yeah, it really was. That made um, that that movie it, that made that movie tolerable. I love that movie. We're going to fight about this. Oh, God. I love that movie so much. But yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap up on Thrawn because, like we said, it's, it's, it's a flawed book, but I think overall it's... it does add a lot of interesting aspects to, as an accompaniment to the third season of Rebels. Yeah. Um, um, as a standalone novel, maybe less so. Yeah, if, if you, yeah, unless you were... Yeah, unless you were a fan of Rebels or unless you were a fan of the original Thrawn trilogy, it don't it, it's it's not it, essential reading. It's, I, I'm, I'm really yeah, it's not really essential reading, and I don't want to try and compare it to the original uh, Thrawn trilogy because that's not fair. Um, yeah, like even like I'm reading them now and I haven't finished them. I haven't even finished Heir to the Empire as we're recording this, but I'm the beginning of that novels already more. Like, there's more stuff happening and there's more stuff going on than the beginning of this novel yeah. and the beginning of uh, Thrawn, I should say. Whereas, like, once Thrawn becomes part of the Empire, it's a while before stuff starts happening. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're going to leave it there. It's it's an imperfect novel. If, mm-hmm. you're, if you're wanting more from canon Thrawn, it's not bad. But if you're wanting more Thrawn, if you're really chomping at the bit, I think watching Rebels is, I would say, I would recommend that over simply reading this. Yeah. Does that sound fair? Yeah. I mean, again, I like the idea that they introduced, well, Thrawn's only friend. Yeah, I hope hope Eli comes back in some other story. Definitely. And I think... We might even see him in Rebels season four. I would love to see that him that and uh, oh god, I can't believe I say him and uh, Sloan because of mm-hmm. course I I really hope Sloan gets a show in Rebel season four. That yeah, would be so cool. But yeah, I but think yeah. we're gonna I think we're gonna wrap up there. I think I've said we're gonna wrap up about four times now. But yeah. we're, this is we're, we're doing it for realsies now. This conversation. Yeah, where can the people find you on the internet? I know we've said this in the last <laughs> part, but. Just remind the people. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Scholar. I'm on Tumblr, uh, DiscgruntScholar.tumblr.com. I write for Multiversity Comics, and that's about it. And I have been your host, Alice W. Castle. You can find me at Alice W. Castle on Twitter and also at Multiversity Comics, where I should mention, I feel like I didn't mention this in our comics segment, and I feel like I should, and you will have seen this as this episode goes up i'm starting a monthly annotations column or have started the monthly annotations column about marvel's star wars comics called tales from a galaxy far far away and the first (laughs) column of that which looked at the screaming citadel and poe dameron 14 and 15 went up on tuesday past as this episode goes up so if you want to see me talk more about star wars because why wouldn't you (laughs) you should go check that out and yeah that will do us for this episode as always you can find us at multiversity and may the force be with you may the force be with you